May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. In uh, Luke's account of, of Palm Sunday, he, he points out something that we don't see in the other Gospels. It's something that happened after, you could say, after the parade. After the hosannas died down and maybe people are picking up the palm branches and the cloaks off the street. And what, it's what happened to Jesus after that. He says in verse 41 that as Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Uh, Jesus, the weeping king. We see that in the Gospel of Luke. And the word that's being used there for weep is not the silent kind of tears, silent, quiet crying. It's, it's really sobbing. It's, it's tears of anguish. Almost, uh, it can convey almost wailing uh, out of grief, out of sorrow. And so we see that happening to Jesus here. And so it's going to be a little different kind of Palm Sunday sermon because I kept coming back to this. Jesus weeping. The king weeps. I think as we uh, grow in our relationship with Christ, as we get closer and closer to his heart, one of the things that should happen is that we begin to feel like he feels. And we, um, we weep over the things that he weeps over. And the same sort of compassion that Jesus had ought to be in some measure the compassion that we feel, his priorities and the things that he grieves over ought to be shared with those who are close to him. And I think, again, this is happens as we grow closer to Christ over time. And so I want to ask the question, why exactly is Jesus weeping? Well, the answer is that Jesus is weeping because even though many people on this day, his disciples hailed him as king, and they recognized that God had done something extraordinary in Jesus. They praised Him because of the mighty works that they had seen. There were people who rejected Him. The religious leaders in Jerusalem are saying, silence your disciples from, from praising you in this way. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They don't see who Jesus really is. Maybe even some of the people in this crowd that are shouting Hosanna later, uh, many of them. Abandon him. And so Jesus weeps because people are failing to see him as the king and the savior that he is. And again, I think that we ought to have some of that compassion towards those who don't understand who Jesus is. What are some of the uh, ingredients of that? Um, let's look at what, what Jesus says here. Here, here, here's what's going on in, in, in people's minds and hearts who don't really see who Jesus is, their King and their Savior. Part of it has to do with an understanding. They misunderstand Jesus. They misunderstand what they really need. He says in verse 42, Would that you, talking about the city as a whole, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. If you would have known the things 
that make for peace. There's a problem with their knowledge, with their understanding. Jesus' fellow Jews, they longed for peace. Uh, They wanted peace from Roman rule. Their nation had been taken over by the Roman government, so they longed for peace. And they wanted Israel to be a nation of peace and a vehicle of peace to the rest of the world. And you see that in our text from Zechariah, where it talks about the coming of the Messiah. And that one day, God will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from from Jerusalem. And uh, the battle bow will be broken off and he shall speak peace to the nations. So their hope was that God would restore their nation and that their nation would have peace and then that would spread to other nations as God ruled and reigned through the Messiah. And the disciples, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, are shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. A longing for peace. Some Jews thought, like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, some of them, like the Pharisees, thought that they could find this peace, that God would give them this peace if they would only meticulously, if everybody would just meticulously obey the law of God and the traditions that they had developed. And then at some point, God would reward their obedience to his law and their laws and intervene on their behalf and give them peace. Peace through religious obedience and observance. Other Jewish leaders collaborated with the Roman rulers. Their idea was peace through cooperation. Let's just try to get along here. Peace through cooperation. And then other Jews, the the zealots, thought that the way to peace was through revolt, through armed revolt, peace through power. So there are all these different visions of how God is going to give us peace or how we might establish peace. But Jesus challenged all those visions. He said that he was the way of peace. He was the way of peace and is the way of peace. In John 14, 27, he says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Jesus is saying, I have a peace that the world can never get. You cannot attain this through worldly means. And so Jesus knows that as he draws near to Jerusalem, and he's predicted this time and time again, that when he goes into Jerusalem, he's going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. And it's through his sacrificial death that peace is possible with God. It's through the cross of Christ that we have the forgiveness of our sins and we have peace with God. And and his resurrection gives us the hope of everlasting eternal life. So Jesus knows that that is the way of ultimate peace. But many people in his day and still today don't understand. Would that you, he says, would that you have known what makes for peace. You know, we still long for peace. Obviously, this is part of the human condition in a fallen world. We long for peace. Students were marching yesterday throughout the nation for peace, for safety. There's a desire for peace in our nation, in our schools. There's a desire for peace between nations. We're worried about North Korea and Russia and countries in the Middle East. We have a desire for peace nationally, locally, globally. There's a desire for peace at an individual level, peace with God. 
You know, as a pastor, I frequently minister to people at the end of their life in the hospital. And I can tell you, there's a longing to know for sure that they're at peace with God. And Jesus says there is a way for this peace. It's through him. And, and, and the tragedy is that many people don't fully understand that, aren't willing really to consider it. And they reject this peace that he has to offer. That happened in his day. And so Jesus is weeping over that. And then he talks about a spiritual blindness that's happened to them. But now they are hidden from your eyes. The way of peace, the way of salvation of God's deliverance is, is right there in front of them. They've had an opportunity to see it. But now at this point, Jesus says, they are hidden from your eyes. The truth of Jesus as the Messiah was was there for people to see in his mighty works, in his powerful teaching. It was there before their eyes. And we see in this in this account of Palm Sunday that many of the disciples did recognize the disciples did recognize that God was at work in Jesus. And they were praising God, it says, for the mighty works that they had seen, that they had seen. But some people saw the same thing. And they didn't believe. And now Jesus is saying, these things are hidden from your eyes. See, there's a there's a principle here, I believe, a spiritual principle that we see in the Bible. And I guess you could summarize it this way. You could summarize it this way. Use it. Or eventually lose it. Use it or eventually Lose it. And what I mean by that is God gives people revelation. God gives people an understanding of who he is in his word, in Christ. He gives people that he gives knowledge of himself. And then we are responsible to respond to the revelation that he's given to us by faith. Or respond. We're we're called rather to put our faith in what he has revealed. And if we continually ignore that, if people continually turn away from that, Eventually, there's a hardening of heart that can come upon us. There's a spiritual blindness that can happen. It's according to God's timetable. I mean, God is patient. God is merciful. But there's this principle that we see in the Bible. And I sum it up. Use it or lose it. Eventually, it can it can go away. And now the window of opportunity is closing for those who are rejecting Jesus. He says, now they are hidden from your eyes. Just before Jesus entered Jerusalem, he tells this parable. I think this is framing what's happening here. This parable is very important in understanding what's happening here as Jesus enters into Jerusalem to die for the sins of the whole world. And the parable that he gives is the parable of the ten minas. What's a mina? Glad you ask. A mina is three months wages for a laborer. And the, and, the, and the point of this parable is similar to the parable of the talents, which we're familiar with. But the, the, the parable goes like this. Again, this is Jesus saying this right before the next scene in Luke is this entry into Jerusalem. And the parable goes like this. Jesus says there was once a nobleman who's going to become a king. A nobleman is going to become a king and he goes away to receive this kingdom. And before he goes away, he calls ten servants. And he gives each of them this mina, three months worth of wages. 
And he says, now I'm going away. I, when I return, I'm going to be the king. But I want you to do business with this wage that I've given you. I want you to use it. I want you to do something profitable with what I'm giving you. And so the king goes away. The, the nobleman, rather, goes away. And he does become a king. He receives a kingdom. He comes back as their king. And the servants approach him. And one servant comes up to him and says, Sir, I, I have ten minas here. I've increased your mina tenfold. So your one mina has now become ten minas more. And the king says, Good. Well done. Now you are going to be in charge of ten cities in my kingdom. Another servant approaches the king and he says, I have... I have five minas. I've turned your one mina into five minas. And the king says, good job. Well done. Now you're going to be in charge of five cities in my kingdom. But then another servant approaches. And he approaches kind of sheepishly. And he's got a handkerchief wadded up in his hand. And he comes kind of in cringing fashion before the king. He says, sir, I, I heard that you were harsh and severe. And I was afraid if, if I were to lose the thing that you gave me, the money that you gave me. See, he's disobeyed the king's order. The king said, do business with this. But he kept it for himself. And the king answered, why didn't you put the money in the bank? At least could have earned some interest. He's disobeyed the king's order. And then Jesus, here's the point of the parable. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The king said, give that mina to the one who made ten minas. Because the servant didn't use what the king gave him. Use it or lose it. You know, when I was in high school, I took French. When I was in graduate school, I took French, a reading course in French. Can I speak French now? No. Why? Use it or lose it. Right? That's a principle in life. We can talk about that intellectually. We can talk about that physically. But I think that's a spiritual principle as well that we see in the Scripture. And Jesus is telling this parable just before He enters Jerusalem. The religious leaders of the day, the center of Jerusalem, are rejecting Him. And God has given Him plenty of opportunities to see who He is. And they haven't used it. They haven't responded. And so now blindness has come upon them. So Jesus is weeping for this. He's grieving about this. And then there's something else. It's not included in your bulletin. But then Jesus talks about the judgment that is to come upon those who reject him. And when uh, it says here, and um, when he drew near and saw the city, now he's getting close to the city proper, the city Jerusalem. He, he, he wept over it. Um, excuse me. I'm going to jump down to verse 20, 43. Uh, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you. So this is amazing. Jesus is predicting uh, almost 40 years before it happened, the destruction of the temple, which happened in AD 70. The siege of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. Jesus is predicting it. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. 
you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. God is visiting them in Christ and they did not recognize it and they turned from it. And so Jesus is weeping for the judgment that will come. And that did happen in AD 70 under the Emperor Titus. During the siege of Jerusalem, it, it went on for some six months. And it's said that the high priest's wife, who was used to luxury, was reduced to scavenging the streets of Jerusalem for a crumb. And Jesus saw that suffering was going to happen because they did not know the time of their visitation. It was the judgment of God. And Jesus is weeping about that. So that's kind of tough for us to hear, right? In this culture, this idea of the judgment of God, the coming judgment of God. We are, are kind of allergic to the idea of being judged, especially when it comes to our personal relationships. About the worst thing that you can say about somebody today is that they're being, what? Judgmental. And I think there's a point to be made about that when it comes to personal relationships. But the problem is that we've projected that onto God. And we say that God is not judgmental. God is not the ultimate judge. And, and we've gotten rid of this idea of our responsibility before God based on what He's given to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. But you can't have the God of the Bible without judgment. You can't have Jesus without this warning of judgment. And part of the problem, I think, is that we have, we, we have a hard time fitting together the idea of God's love and mercy and then God's judgment. And that's understandable that we have a hard time with this. I've been reading a book by Fleming Rutledge, a Christian writer, an Episcopal priest. The book is, I find, fairly orthodox and biblical. She makes a point in this book. She says, we need to understand that God's judgment is an aspect of God's mercy. It's not the opposite of it. Because God has to be against all those things that threaten or destroy His loving purpose and His desire to have a kingdom. Those things that threaten, repel God's loving purposes have to at some point be removed for the kingdom to be established. So, and she gives this illustration. She says, imagine the, the needle of a compass, the magnetic needle of a compass. And the end of that needle is constantly seeking north, the north pole. That, that same needle is repelled from the South Pole. So the same magnetism that is working the end of the needle to point north is causing it to point away from the south. It looks like opposite forces are at work, but it's the same thing. It's the magnetic force field that's moving that needle. And in and, 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 and an analogous way, God's judgment is still part of God's force for mercy. It looks like it's something opposite, but it's just the flip side, you see of God's force for mercy and for the establishment of His kingdom of love and peace. And so judgment is a necessary part of the kingdom of God. But it still grieves Jesus. Jesus knows this is going to happen. But it still grieves Him. He still has compassion for those who reject, for those who don't know, for those who are blind. And um, 
You know, here's here's kind of the takeaway for me as we enter into this holy week. I've been asking Jesus to baptize my imagination this week. As we walk with Jesus this week into Jerusalem and then Monday, Thursday and the Good Friday and then next week, hallelujah, we get to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. But I want to walk with him on this journey. I want him to baptize my imagination. I want to grow closer to him. Not just on an intellectual level, but an emotional level. I want to taste something, just a small measure of what he went through this week. So that it can change me and, and make me more Christ-like. How, how about you this week? That's a good prayer to have. Baptize my imagination, Jesus. And so this Palm Sunday, we, we can join with these um, disciples who hailed Jesus as their Messiah, as their King. And they praised him for the mighty works that he has done. And one of the most mighty things that God in Christ has done for us is he has opened our eyes to see him for who he is. Through the illumination of the spirit of God, this miracle of grace, we see Jesus as our savior, as our way of peace. And we can join that parade in that procession and give thanks to God for that miracle of grace. If that's happened in our life, we praise him for that. But we also need to, I think, join with Jesus, the weeping king. And we need to ask for more compassion for those who don't get it, for those who don't understand, for those who have turned away, because the ultimate judgment hasn't come. This is still the day of salvation. This is still the era of salvation. This is still the time to announce to people that the Messiah Jesus is their Savior and their Lord and the peace that they're looking for is found in him. And so we need to have that compassion that Jesus has to be able to share that with other people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you have done for us and for our salvation. We do pray, O oh Lord Christ, that we would grieve over the things that cause you to grieve. That we would weep over the things that cause you to weep. Give us the gift of tears. Give us the gift of a soft heart towards those who don't know you. And motivate us as a church and as individuals to reach out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.